the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Therefore, God gave them over. He's going to use that phrase three times. God gave them over three times in this chapter. In other words, God is going to allow people to experience the self-destructive result of sin. If by their choice, they say, I deny God, I suppress the truth, I don't believe I'm godless and I'm wicked, I don't buy into any of this stuff, then people will experience the natural self-destructive results of living a sinful life. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. The gospel has the power to save humanity. But save them from what? In order for you to understand the saving grace of God, you must realize men's sinful condition. After the bad news, you can receive the good news of salvation through Jesus. Pastor Gary will teach that the need of worship is innate to human beings, but many people's worship is misplaced. They've chosen to worship created things instead of the Creator. The fact is, you may remove God from your life, but you'll still be held accountable for your choices. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We left off in Romans, chapter 1, about the middle of the chapter, but I want to uh, highlight again the key verse because we're going to build on this going forward. The key verse from the book of Romans, again, is Romans 1.16, where Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Now, this is a key verse for the whole book of Romans, and it speaks about, if you'll notice, salvation. Uh, He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so then the question for the key verse becomes salvation from what? What exactly are we saved from? And two verses later, he talks about it. So I'll highlight that one as well. Verse 18, where he says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then it goes on to say, since what may be known 
about God is plain to them. So again, notice this. The wrath of God, verse 18 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So the gospel, we mentioned this last week, the definition of the gospel, euangelion from the Greek meaning the good news. The good news of scripture in general is that we can be saved from God's wrath. So he's linking this whole concept of there's good news and there's bad news. Good news is it's been revealed through scripture that there is a righteousness that comes by faith. That he talks more about in chapters 3 and 4. But in order for us to appreciate the good news, we have to understand that there is the imminent wrath of God against the godlessness and wickedness of mankind. And if we don't understand our own godlessness and wickedness, then we can't appreciate the salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So he's building this argument. He wants everybody to understand, hey, there's really good news, but in order for you to grasp and appreciate the good news, you've got to accept the bad news. And the bad news is we're all godless and wicked. Now he's going to address this going forward in case there are some people who would object to that and say, I'm not that godless and I'm not that wicked. And he's going to address different groups of people through the rest of chapter 1 and into chapter 2 to kind of dismantle every argument that would resist this condemnation of mankind. Because that's what it is. It's an indictment of the human heart that we're all godless and wicked. But Paul says, but there's good news. Jesus Christ died for us and by faith we can be made righteous. But until you're willing to grasp and understand your condition, the condition of humanity, you'll never appreciate and you'll probably therefore never put your trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So he has to make all this clear. And so he expresses here in verse 18 a little bit about the wrath of God. And then he's going to go on talking about the wrath of God for a little bit. Now, please don't think of God's wrath in human terms. We kind of think of, you know, when somebody's full of wrath, they're really angry, they're, you know, they're fist pounding the table, you know, veins bulging from their neck, and that's, that's a human view of wrath. That's not a biblical view of God's wrath. And we talk about the wrath of God. J.I. Packer said it best when he said this. He said, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. God is only angry where anger is called for, end quote. Now notice again what Packer says there. It's very insightful when he said it is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. Now this is sometimes hard for us to understand in relation to the character and nature of God, but because he is holy... And because he is just, he cannot allow unholiness and injustice to go unpunished. If he did, he would not be a holy and just God. That would be like saying that if a parent is really fair, but yet the kids are constantly doing things that break the rules of the house, and then the parent never does anything to correct the rule breakers, then how can that parent really be just and fair? If they are negligent, if they are passive, if they are indifferent to the offenses and the, and the breaking of the rules that go on in, in that parent's home, that parent could be charged with being just that, negligent and passive and indifferent. And so if there's all this evil in the world and God just sits back and says, you know what, that's fine, there can be evil, and he doesn't express his justice, his wrath against 
those things that are morally evil, then he then by definition is not just and holy. So he must respond to evil. He must respond to godlessness and wickedness because that is a actually a loving expression of his character and nature. Because if he just stood idly by and did nothing, then he would not be a loving, true, and holy, and just God. Now, we've got to wrap our minds around this because this is sometimes difficult in respect to ourselves. But now that we understand, as Paul makes the argument going forward, that we are the objects of his wrath because of our godlessness and wickedness as human beings then there needs to be a remedy to satisfy the wrath of God because he has to express his wrath against those things that are morally evil. He has to. But since we as human beings are by nature godless and wicked, then we need something that will satisfy the wrath of God so that we then don't experience his condemnation or his wrath, that it can be satisfied by another means or method. Thus enters the cross, you see. So he's going to make this whole argument here, but he has to establish it first. We're wicked. We're godless. We can't appreciate the good news of what Christ has done unless we first accept our own godlessness and wickedness. And then in chapter 3 and 4, as I mentioned a moment ago, he's going to bring on the good news. There's a righteousness that comes by faith. So, you know, don't lose heart. But not everybody's willing to accept their own godless state. So he's going over the next chapter and a half build that case and make that argument. Again, this is why, as I mentioned last week, Stanford University Law School used to require 100 years ago for people to read this because it's a brilliant way of presenting a legal argument to convince us as we read this uh, about the truth as God reveals it. So here's why man is guilty no matter where man finds himself in relation to God uh, because God gives a testimony about himself that is undeniable. In three different ways, Paul's going to say here, he, he has testified of himself to the heathen through creation. We got about halfway through that one. I'm going to pick that one up in a little bit. And then he reveals himself to the hypocrite in chapter 2 through conscience. And he reveals himself to the Hebrew, to the Jew, through the commandments. That's the rest of chapter 2. And so let's, again, just kind of pick up where we left off last week because we were in the middle of kind of the argument of creation. How is it that creation testifies to the existence of God? And therefore, even someone who never darkens the door of a church cannot deny the existence of God if he or she will use a little intellectual capacity to examine the world and the universe and recognize there's no way that this all of this could have just randomly come together through long, selective, natural processes over billions and billions of years. There has to be a divine designer behind all of the design itself. You know, if you were to find, you know, a watch on a sidewalk, no one would intellectually think that that watch just randomly over long periods of time became a functioning mechanism to tell time. Anybody who finds a watch in a sidewalk would realize there's a manufacturer behind it. There's a maker behind it. So why is it that sometimes people will look at the grand complexity of the universe and yet intellectually dismiss that there's a maker and a designer behind it? Because of man's godlessness and wickedness, we've suppressed the truth. That's the reality of why people will make that argument, that this is just a process of evolution. That, in fact, this is not the result of a divine designer. But over gradual modification through long periods of time, 
through successive periods of transitions, and, and then we have all that we have. I came across an article that kind of summarized some of the incredible complexities of things in, related to ourselves and our universe. Listen to some of these things. The skin, the human skin, is the largest organ in your body. If you were to take a quarter and place it on the palm of your hand, the space that is covered just by a quarter will include, will cover one yard of blood vessels, four yards of nerves, 25 nerve ends, 100 sweat glands, 3 million cells. Just in the space on the palm of your hand covered by a small little quarter. The human heart is the size of your fist, roughly. The adult heart weighs less than half a pound, and yet it can do enough work in 12 hours to lift 65 tons off the ground. The earth, 25,000 miles in circumference, weighs 6 septillion, 588 sextillion tons. I don't know who weighed it, but that's what they write. It hangs suspended in space, it spins a thousand miles per hour, and it careens through space around the sun at 1,000 miles per second. Birds. There are five billion types of birds in the U.S., five billion types of birds in the United States, some of which can fly 500 miles nonstop across the Gulf of Mexico. Mallard ducks can fly 60 miles per hour, eagles 100 miles per hour, Falcons can dive at speeds of 180 miles per hour. Lightning. A bolt of lightning travels an average distance of 8 miles. A single bolt contains 15 million volts. That voltage could power 1 million light bulbs for life. And all of this just randomly happened by chance. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> now, come on, it takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe that there's a divine designer behind the whole complexity of the universe. Creation testifies to the existence of God. His handiwork displays his identity and reality. A visible world displays the invisible God. The complexities and the interdependency of the universe declare an intelligent designer, a divine designer behind it. The Bible says in Psalm 19, 1 and 2, the heavens declare the glory of God the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Isaiah 40, verse 26 says, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Psalm 8, 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him. So, he is clearly seen in the universe. Look at verse 20 of chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Okay, so that men are without excuse. Now look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools 
and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And notice what he's saying. And this is a commentary on human history. There is an innate need in every human heart to worship God as creator. You can do any research of any people group, whether they are, you know, the most modern and up-to-date culture, or whether they are in the most remote jungles of South America somewhere, and you will see cultures that continually worship. They will worship something, because we've all been created with this need to connect and commune with our Creator. So, Even though some people obviously don't worship God, you will notice, however, they worship something. They worship the stars. They worship the universe. They worship creation. They worship a lot of different things. It's misplaced worship, but it still testifies to the fact that innately in the heart of every human being is a desire to communicate with God because why? We've been created in the image and likeness of God. And as I mentioned last week, human beings are the only out of all of God's creation, the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, that we as human beings have been created body, soul, and spirit. Not just body, and not just body and soul that relates to the animal kingdom and body being something physical of the plant kingdom, but we as humanity have been created body, soul, and spirit. And that is the reason why we have the need and the ability to connect and commune with our creator, because he's created us in his image and in his likeness. So he is clearly seen in creation, but because of godlessness and wickedness, men have suppressed the truth. That's verse 18. But Paul says, but they're without excuse because God is visible. God is seen throughout creation. His handiwork displays who he is. But unfortunately, many times in many cultures, in Paul's writing in, you know, first century Rome, and the Romans were notorious for having a bunch of idols and statues to false and foreign gods and a multitude of gods. They were a polytheistic society, and they denied the worship of the true and living God. But they still displayed this desire to worship gods. And because of the connection we have with the heart of the true and living God. So therefore, they're putting up all these idols to worship various gods. And Paul says, listen... This is the sadness of what has happened when men deny the truth and suppress the truth. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And people start to worship created things. That's what he says further down. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over. He's going to use that phrase three times. God gave them over three times in this chapter. In other words, God is going to allow people to experience the self-destructive result of sin. If by their choice they say, I deny God, I suppress the truth, I don't believe I'm godless and I'm wicked, I don't buy into any of this stuff, then people will experience the natural self-destructive results of living a sinful life. That's what he means by God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another... And verse 25 says, And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, notice what he's saying here. This is very important. He says, There's been an an inversion of God's divine design. Let me illustrate it to you this way. An inversion of the divine order of God. The divine order of God is this. God is overall supreme and sovereign. 
creates mankind as kind of the jewel of his crown of creation, the six days of creation. God creates man on the sixth day. After every single day, God said it is good. After the sixth day, he said it is very good. The creation of mankind was the pinnacle of creation. And therefore then, God assigns to mankind dominion over creation. That's the Genesis story. God creates mankind, delights in the creation, and then he gives dominion to man over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, the creatures of the land. You have dominion over the earth. So that's the divine order. God is supreme, and then man over creation. Now, Paul says what is happening is, and I think you will agree that this is happening in incredible speed in our own culture that has been completely inverted where now creation is touted as the most important thing man is secondary to creation and god is all but eliminated it is an intentional intentional thing that is happening in our culture today it's amazing how stuff hasn't changed in almost two thousand years here two thousand years where paul writes about this is what's going to happen he says when you remove god from a culture Okay, when you remove God from a culture, what's going to happen is it's going to invert the divine design because you're going to relegate God to some lower level, if not exclude him and eliminate him altogether. And therefore, then creation is going to become more important. And that's why Paul says here, they started serving created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. It's amazing how timeless the Bible is, where what Paul is writing in his day is coming to bear even in our own day. Now look, and I will use this word, the evil behind the theory of evolution, and it is just that, all right? The evil behind it is that whether intentionally or unintentionally, it is an effort to remove God from the equation of the universe. And once you remove God from the equation of the universe, then man thinks he's not accountable but he still is, whether he wants to acknowledge God or not, he still is. Because the fact that mankind might make an effort to remove God from society and culture and a nation doesn't remove God. And it will deceive us into thinking that we're no longer accountable to God if we pretend like he doesn't exist. You see, in 1968, let me tell you something that happened that was an important turning factor in our own nation. In 1968, the U.S. Supreme Court says that teaching creation in the public schools is a violation of the First Amendment, of the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. Now, the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment of the Constitution basically says that government shall not make any law concerning the establishment of religion, that there's freedom of religion. But in 1968, the U.S. Supreme Court decided by whim, that the Establishment Clause also applied to not doing anything that in any way might even further religion. And therefore, and though creation had been taught in our schools in this nation for the first almost 200 years, in 1968, the U.S. Supreme Court says creation no longer taught in public schools because it could be considered furthering or advancing religion. So what happens? Evolution is now touted as the main doctrine in public schools, and creation is not allowed to be taught. Now, good biology high school teachers have found a way to kind of work around that and challenge people to use their intellect and to, you know, consider other ideas. But nevertheless, there's this prohibition since 1968. 
Now consider when you put a few things together about our own national history. You know, when America was established, it was established with Judeo-Christian values. Our forefathers, 24 out of 26 of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, had Bible school or seminary degrees. These were Christians who were interested in establishing a nation with religious freedom for the advancement of the cause of Christ. Romans teaches that living for Jesus isn't just something you say with your mouth. It's an entire lifestyle change. Your heart and your mind are made new through the powerful grace and love of Jesus. You begin to want to do things as Jesus has, and that includes knowing what he says in the Word. It's important to make spending time in the Bible part of your life. You'll learn more about the Savior you follow and his plans for your life and for the world as a whole. We're so glad you tuned in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's message on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen again to this study in Romans, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you'll be able to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it all. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, we'd love to have you come join us for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each week on Sundays at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come meet Pastor Gary, spend some time in the Word, and join us as we lift our voices in praise to our King. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. We hope you'll join us again for this continuing study of Romans right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.